0: the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Church, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for this time that you give us to worship you, God, to acknowledge who you are, what you've done for us. Father God, I pray this morning that we would eliminate distraction. Lord, we would just lay down any doubts or fears we may have this morning. Lord, we would just lay them at your feet, knowing that you accept those things, you embrace those things, and you call us to your table to learn and to see who you are and what you've done for us. Father God, I just pray this morning that we would just be humbled by your word. God, I pray that you would challenge us, convict us, reveal to us the places in our lives that we desperately need To see and hear from you. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sean, do you mind flipping on the rest of the lights for me? So church, we're going to continue our series this morning that we've called The Outsiders. This focus on what it looks like to navigate Christian life in a culture that doesn't want you. You know, this is a, a, a growing thing for us. And if we haven't realized it or been exposed to it, it's quickly coming our way. And so for us, we, we've talked lots and lots about kind of internalized things and how we navigate those things. And so we've moved further and further towards this place of practical steps and movement that we take in our lives and how that looks. And so last week, we really leaned in heavy on why the local church is vital and valuable to the Christian, because it's the place at which we come and we move from that space. We experience brotherly love and affection and those things play out in that space and even in the context of where we've been hurt, discouraged, or disappointed. It does not diminish the fact that God has ordained the local church and the gathering of God's people to be the point at which we move out from. To be the point at which we move from to grow and to go for God and His glory and His goodness this morning. And so continuing on in that, we're going to kind of, we read through verse 1 of chapter 2 last week as we kind of acknowledge this idea of what God wants to do with us and through us in this space. And I wanted to jump back into that because I think it's important as we kind of move through the rest of this this morning that we acknowledge these things that God specifically and what Peter is communicating to us this morning to kind of eliminate that as we navigate this cultural space, that as we navigate this spot uh, that God has invited us to and called us to, that there are some things in our life that as we uh, try to walk through this space... That there are things within us that are distractions, that are deterrents, that are detractors from how we engage. We, talk, we kind of connected last week to how we engage in the local church. And then this week, we kind of see how it kind of can get in the way of as we move forward now, as we progress in our lives and grow and move in this direction that I believe God is pointing to us today in the, in, in the Scripture. And so in verse 1, He tells us right off the bat, so put away. And we said other translations may say it like this, lay aside And what is he saying? What is he calling us to strip off or lay aside? He's he's more or less telling us um, to clean house. You know, I love how one version kind of said this. It said, so clean house. Eliminate some things from your life. Kind of begin to pull away some, some things that are robbing us from our movement in Christ. That are robbing us of our relationships with people and places in our life. And and affecting how we engage and grow in the local church and further influences and enforces our growth and direction as Christians navigating a hostile cultural environment. And so. He tells us. He says, lay aside. You know, We kind of went through these and I won't spend a lot of time on them this morning. But He says, lay aside or put away malice and deceit, uh, hypocrisy, envy and slander. How we talk about each other. How we deal with each other. He says, man, strip those things away. Lay those things aside. Why? Because Paul would tell us in Ephesians 2, 2 uh, 22, 4.22, He says, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life. And so He tells us as Christians. And remember, Paul is, uh, Peter is writing to Christians to this morning. Morning. He's writing to Christians this morning and he's telling us, he's telling us that there is a manner of life at which we live and it looks different than who we used to be. Now, are there like levels of that difference? Absolutely. Because I've said it before, Jake day one of my uh, walk with Jesus is much different than Jake day, however, wherever we are today, because life progressively grows, it changes. But day one wasn't that much different than free Christian Jake. And so there's progressive layers at which we move through this Christian life. And part of that movement and progress begins with us constantly putting off, putting off our old self because those old clothes, that old self is a comfortable garment to wear. And so for us in our life, when He calls us and invites us into this, He tells us, man, lay that aside. Lay that aside because, like we talked about last week, it not only gets in the way of how we engage the church, because remember, the church is full of faulty people, the church is full of people who disappoint us, the church is full of people who maybe manipulate us or deceive us, but it does not diminish the value of the gathering of God's people and the work at which flows from that. And so, For us to properly engage in that, we have to put off... And I loved how all these things that he listed, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, they're all things that affect our relationships with people. These are things that require someone else to be at the other end for us to even participate in those things. And so he's shifting us away from those things, pulling those things off, and he's moving us into a direction this morning that I really want to lean heavy into. As we continue to... Like last week we looked at our relationship to each other as the church and how that is invaluable and vital and important for us. And then this morning I really believe what Peter is trying to reveal to us is for us as individuals the value at which we gain from the church and the the teaching of God's word and why those things are valuable. Kind of this place for the church where we have to be, where our mindsets have to be to be stepping out and engaging a world that is pressing in around us. And so there will be three things this morning per usual that I have for us. The first thing is this is that the church is a people who are in need the church is a people who are in need the moment that we as the people that make up the church that are the church forget that we are in need is the moment that we begin to slip away from what God called us to When we begin to forget that we have needs, then we not only in one case can begin to elevate ourselves above other people that we feel like that we're better than or that we represent God better than or whatever it might be, but then we also put ourselves in a place where we can easily begin to move away from the truth that God has laid before us because we've stopped needing something outside of ourselves, as we'll see here this morning. So verse 2, he says this, Peter says this, Like newborn infants, like newborn infants. I love this imagery. And the Bible uses this imagery uh, very often. And you know for a lot of us I don't think we particularly like the idea of thinking about ourselves in our spiritual lives as being infants. Especially you know for us we, wanna, we don't like the idea of the vulnerability of infants. We know infants and they're, they're not fun. Right? I mean they're busy and they're moving and, and we love them. I loved all my little infants but I can't say that that was my favorite stage of life. But there's a sense, mainly because I'm constantly like, what are they putting in their mouth? Or what are they getting into that they might injure themselves, right? But, so with that, there's a sense of vulnerability. There's a sense of weakness. There's a sense of dependence. And so when Peter is mentioning this in, in, to this group of people, you know, in this culture, children really were at the bottom of the pile as far as people of value. You know, they, they couldn't work. They couldn't provide anything. And so there was not that much value to, to them. Uh, And so for Peter to call these people to a state of being like newborn infants would have really shook them to the core of where they were and their value they saw in themselves and the strength that they truly believed they had. But this is a testament that Jesus... Echoed Even before this, in Matthew 18, 3-4, he continuously communicated this idea of calling us as Christians and people to this place as we begin and kind of navigate our Christian walk to this place of, of being a child, this childlike faith. In 18, three, uh, Matthew 18, verse 3-4, through four, and, and Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is, in, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, and so for us, why is this vital? Why, why would Peter mention this as he's teaching and preaching to a group of, 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 of Jewish people? These people have, who have all these influences, who, are, who have all this really high view of themselves. Why is he doing this? Why is he teaching them this? That it's vital for spiritual growth and development for the church, for the people of God especially when we consider for these people, they're navigating oppression. Remember, because the emperor hates these people, the emperor is turning the people of Rome against these people. And so he's telling them you know, about this, why in navigating a culture that's pressing in around them, uh, that's trying to shake them off their convictions and the calling to and bringing them to conformity as we will be in our navigating a culture that is calling us to conformity, calling us to let go of some things that, that God has called us to. What this state of faith does, and I believe why Peter leans into this here. What this state of faith does is it deflects us away from self-reliance towards God-reliance. It deflects us away from this moment... Where we are constantly dependent on ourselves, on our own strength, on our own desires, on our own abilities. Because by nature, we are very introverted in that respect, is that we depend on ourselves. We depend on our perspective. We depend on our abilities to help us navigate cultural spaces and even life in general, and leading and relationships and all those things. But what God is constantly bringing us back to is He's bringing us back to this place of dependence. Where we are depending on something else outside of ourselves to provide for us. Because that's what newborn infants have to do, right? Is they depend on someone else for their safety. They depend on someone else for their nutrition. They depend on someone else for their their care and their love and and their movement even. They're completely dependent. And so for us, what Peter is calling us to is this place of dependence, of safety, of movement, of growth and development that is not settled on me. And this doesn't take responsibility away from me. And, and we, we, we could argue and even later on may mention that God has called us to be maturing in the faith. And we should be maturing in the faith. But we constantly need to come back to this place where we understand our dependence. And the reason is this, the second thing this morning. Because the church needs what is right. The church needs what is right. You know because we live in a world where truth is 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 not dependent on any firm standing where truth is dictated by experience rather than what is, we need what is right, not at the sake of being destructive to people, not at the sake of being oppressive to people, but for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God, we have to stand and Crave what is right. And so the second thing is this, we need what is right. Verse 2, continuing on, he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. So this seems very odd, but it's continuing on with this illustration that he's communicating to us and that he's drawing us to. And so these words, this word long for, it tells us this, long for is to crave. You know, other translations may say to crave or to desire it or to have an appetite for. And so in a lot of ways, for us as Christians, if you're a Christian here this morning... You know, I don't always want to assume that everybody is a Christian and, and that's OK if we're not, because I want people to come and to hear and to, to, to learn and to hopefully move into those spaces that we want them to be. But if you are here and for us as Christians, because he's writing this to Christian believers this morning, he's telling you, he's saying that our cravings, our, our spiritual growth and our development can be assessed by our cravings and our delight for God. Because he's telling us, as these people, as these infants that are dependent, longing for God, desiring for, that our cravings are reflective of our diet. You know, we could even relate that into our own personal life, that our cravings are reflective of our diet. And if we feast on junk regularly, what do we crave? We crave junk, right? If we, and for me personally, uh, you know, I'm I'm all about, y'all know me, I'm all about some sweets and some chocolate, and I will... Quick, be quick to hide in the pantry and eat the snacks before any of our kids realize that we have it. And I, I, even within myself, you know, the more we kind of give ourselves over to those things, the more I can feel myself craving those things. And there's a reality to that. And there's something to be said about that within the context of our spiritual life. Because remember, we said that newborn babies and and when God is, is kind of wanting us to see ourselves in that light and Peter is bringing us to this point and kind of reaffirming this with these Christians here in Rome, he tells them, you know, reminding us that newborn babies, their only occupation, their only job is to feast, is to eat, right? And there's a very specific diet for those babies. And now for us, When our cravings aren't for God, it's a reflection of our appetite. It's a reflection of what our intake is. It's a reflection of our diet. And so, you know, the problem is for us, when we're left to our own cravings, which I believe a lot of us do, a lot of us can find ourselves in this place living off of. And feasting on and being driven by our own cravings. When we are driven by our own cravings we begin to create our own reality. When we are left with our own cravings or driven by our own cravings we begin to create our own reality. And what do I mean by that? When we begin to create our own reality we begin to create our own morality. And that it all begins to be shaped by our cravings. It all begins to be shaped by these things within us Not depending on what's outside of me, but these things within us that drive us, that motivate us. You know, that's why raising kids, we can't leave certain things up to the decision of our kids because they need something outside of themselves to be instructed on, to be provided for. You know, whether it's physical, whether we're providing food, whether we're providing nutrition or nourishment, whatever that is, you know, in that case. But then also, even in their morality, the way they think about the world, the way they navigate the, their, the life that they live, they're dependent on us to shape That morality, to shape that ideal about who they are and what they do and how they live. That's not up to them to decide because they're not at a place where within themselves they have the cravings or the desires to navigate those things accurately. It is my responsibility as a parent to lean into the lives of my children and help shape their moral views. Because our desires change, when we're younger our desires change, they're different. And so in a vulnerable weak point of, of our cravings and desires and motivations we need outside influence. And so for us even as Christians who are of age and growing up, you know, we, I need, we need outside influence to shape our morality, to shape our reality because my cravings aren't always pure. My desires aren't always pure. And so I need something, a desires outside of myself to shape me. Desires outside of myself to show me. Because if if it's not if our desires, if 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 our spiritual walk, our mindsets, if they're not nourished by the desires of God, it will be conformed to the desires of the flesh. If our mindsets aren't Nourished by the desires of God, it will be conformed to the desires of our flesh. And that's that, that, that within us. That's interest, introverted. That's us within ourselves being driven by what we want. You know, and then the problem is, is that then, when we are being nourished by the desires of the flesh, then the, our identity begins to be shaped by our desires. Our identity begins to be shaped by our desires. And and, and truly, in a world that is moving further and further and further away from, from an identity being found in God, in our spiritual life, in our Christianity, even among Christians, that when we move away from that... A set of desires that are outside of ourselves, and we begin to move closer and closer and closer to this space where uh, our desires are introspective, where they're inside of us, and we begin to live and be driven by those things, then all of a sudden our identity begins to be designed and, and, and uh, shaped by our desires, You know, and so as we navigate cultural spaces and social issues, if our desires are shaping our identity, then anyone who speaks against those desires is suddenly an oppressor to the identity because our identity is being shaped by internal desires rather than something outside of ourselves. So if my internal desires are telling me that I am somebody or I should do something or I should be someone, then for us as the Christian church, even in love and concern, if we speak against that, then we are suddenly, to that individual, attacking their identity, and that is not the case. What we are trying to say is that, no, your identity is not in your weak, flawed desires. Your identity is in something bigger. Your identity is in a creator. Your identity is in God Almighty who says that you were made in the image of God, and you are not defined by your desires, If we were designed and and, and identified by our desires, man, I would be so faulty. And I am in a lot of ways within myself, faulty and broken. And I need more than what's within this broken heart to drive me and to mold me. And God says that. And and, and Peter is telling that's who God is. God is is that for you, that your identity is not shaped by your desires. Church, the source of our desires shape our identity. And we have got to move and allow God to be that. And so he says here, you know, when we are a church that needs what is right, he says, long for a desire for the pure spiritual milk. Listen, and as we... You know, this whole series is about navigating a cultural space that isn't quite accepting or, or, or encouraging or, or embracing of our mindset. And, you know, and, and I've always been one to tell you, listen, I'm not saying that we go out with with picket signs and, 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 and go fight and argue and this and that. But we do have to stand firm. We do have to be confident, and that's what this is about. That's what Peter is telling them. You have to be confident, long for the pure spiritual, milk. long for pure spiritual things, long for outside of yourself, those things that provide for you, that sustain you spiritually towards this identity you have in Jesus, dependent on something outside of yourself. And so he tells us, when he says that there is long for pure spiritual milk, he is contrasting that with something that is not pure. Because there is a pure way, and then for us, we have to know that not all ways are right. And so if we are a church that needs what is right, we are a people of God that needs what is right, there are things that aren't right. And we don't like that, and our culture doesn't like that, and, and, but that's just the reality. Because the reality is this, if everybody is right, then nobody is right, right? I mean, that, that's just common sense. If everybody is right, and everybody's view is right, and everybody's opinion is right, then nobody's right. And if nobody, you know, and, and so if every viewpoint is equally valuable, then no viewpoint is valuable. No, 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 you know, mindset is valuable. No uh, lifestyle is valuable. Nothing is, is true if everything is true. You know, and Jesus constantly went back to this point where He's trying to instruct them and tell them, listen, there are things that are right. There are things you need to know. And especially as Peter is writing to a people in Rome who are under oppression and are in a culture that hates them, He's telling them, listen, there are things you need to be craving, longing for, pure things that are right, that are right for you, that provide for you. John 16, 3. He says, and they will will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. So he's talking about people. He says, listen, they're going to act and do a certain way because they don't know. Because they don't know what is right. They don't know. They don't understand. And that's what you need to help them know. John 17, 17 says, by this love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world confident. And I think that's key. That's key for us as Christians. As we navigate these spaces of uncertainty, we navigate dealing with people and, 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 and students and, and young adults and, and even older people who are moving away from the faith because of doubts, because of fears, and a lot of things that, that the church has not wanted to engage with, not wanted to have conversations with. And you know, historically, the church has been at a place where it's like, well, if you don't agree with me and you don't like what I say, then go. But we need to be engaging in those conversations and having those things so that we can be people of the pure spiritual truth, the pure spiritual milk or the word, as some translations would say it, that he offers, that he gives to us that we have so that we can give to others. But for us as Christians, as we lean and desire for that, in verse two, he says, this is the reason that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now that seems confusing to us because a lot of us times we believe especially kind of in the context of particular types of churches, you know that my salvation is here. So why do I need to grow up into my salvation here? Like what is what is that? You know, and then we read other verses that says, you know, you're being saved. You know, so we that blows our mind because we, you know, a lot of we think of, of our salvation as this immediate moment and it happens here and then you move. But In reality, the Bible constantly communicates this idea that our salvation is a constant process that is constantly moving. And I'm thankful for that. I don't know about you, but I need to keep being saved every single day and that is part of God perfecting us. That is part of God molding us. That is part of God taking us from one point to the other because day one of your salvation looks very much like all of these days of your salvation. And so thank God that when He saves me here, He continues to save me all the way as I continuously mold and am changed and am moved by God. And so He is calling us To be at this place where we would be leaning into, longing for, craving, having an appetite for pure spiritual milk. Pure spiritual things from God outside of ourselves. And this may grow up into, communicates this idea of to increase or to become greater. And so it's the process that we enter into, our sanctification. If you've been in church enough you've heard that word. But the process of God making us and molding us into His image. Our salvation continues in our life, and it isn't one and done. It carries us. It completes us. And in that, we are nourished Our craving. Uh, when we are nourished or craving anything less or impure, we are not grown or developed into that understanding. And so even for us as Christians, if we're not craving God's Word, we don't have an appetite for God and His goodness and all the things that He has done, then there will be a point at which we are become spiritually malnourished. There will be a point at which we become spiritually anemic. And, and I, I've been at, at those spaces in my life, just being honest, where spiritually I don't feel like doing anything. Spiritually I feel so indifferent and apath- I've felt apathetic to it, where, you know, and, and it's a symptom. It's a symptom of being spiritually malnourished. And so what he's drawing us back to is this place where we long for. What he has for us, the truth of who he is, the truth of what he does, and the truth of what he's done for us. Otherwise, we will become malnourished. And for us as Christians, I think the most important thing with this. You know, because we're navigating a cultural space with the highest rate of, 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 of biblical illiteracy uh, in history where people just don't care about the Bible. People don't care about God's Word. You, you could look at most studies and they would communicate that most Christians don't even feel like it's that important or valuable to read God's Word. And we know that God's Word tells us that He has given us everything we need to know for life and godliness in this book, in His revealed Word, the revelation of God in this book. And so, for us as Christians, the main thing we have to know is what we believe most in a, in, a, in this world that is 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 so vital, so important for us. Because for us, we have to know what we believe as Christians, and how we live, and learn, and teach, even in our kids, and our spouses, and our circles of influence. What we believe matters. It matters most in a world that is pressing against us, especially when it affects you, when it affects your family, when it affects your social structures. We have to know what we believe. We can't afford not to. We have to know what is right because we can't afford not to. You know, and many people have said it in many different ways and I think it's even in a song, but it's this, that if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And listen, that's the truth. That's the reality. You know, when you have people and places and we, we jump from denomination to denomination or place to place or space to space or social structure to social structure or lifestyle to lifestyle it's because we don't know who we are. We don't know what we believe. We don't know what we're navigating. And when our identity is within our is kind of shaped by our inner desires and those desires constantly change as we grow up, as we kind of get older and have life experience then all of a sudden our identity begins to be shaped by our experience rather than something outside of ourselves such as our holy God creator that has named us and claimed us as his own if you're a Christian this morning and if we don't know that if we don't believe that if we haven't settled into that then we will be shaped we will be shifted by any wind of change that comes our way any any great experience that may come our way any space that we may enter into that makes us feel better about ourselves or makes us encouraged or whatever it might be then when those things come then we'll be shaken when people around us begin to leave we'll begin to question we'll begin to doubt when our families are pressed when our when our faith is pressed when the truth and the confidence that we have in God isn't that thing kind of navigating and and, and moving us, then even in the end times when the the Bible tells us that there will be a time when you will be tested and your faith will be revealed, what will you do? Because it will be hard on you. It will be hard on your family. It will be hard, hard on your job. It will be hard on the social structures that you have. What do you do? Listen, if we don't know what we believe and why we believe it, when that day comes, we'll let it all go for nothing just to be comfortable, just for my family to be safe, just for to keep my job. And listen, that's a scary thing. I'm not making light of it. I mean, I'm, I have those conversations. We were, me and my wife were having those conversations the other day. What happens when those things begin to press around us enough where it begins to challenge our livelihood? What do I do? What do we do? We pray and we hope that we have the strength and confidence to let things go and trust God. I know that doesn't seem easy, but in a lot of us, we're letting God go for very much less right now. You know, thank God we're not living in a, in a culture that is um, aggr- as aggressive towards us as pe- brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing it. But what that reveals to us is we're letting God go for much less. When people are dying for much less all around us. You know, and, and I, one of my favorite verses is John 6, 67 through 69. You know, in this moment, Jesus says he's gathered this huge crowd of people. Thousands of people are gathered around. And Jesus is teaching on these very deep spiritual things. And he's starting to navigate some space that's making people very uncomfortable. He's talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. And all this stuff, and people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I don't want any part of that. And they miss the truths of what God is saying because they're not interested in in understanding Jesus on a deeper level or really being invested in the movement that Jesus is building up. They're only interested in, in, in kind of the surface level of it, the crowd, the people gathered around. They're like, oh, this is cool. I want to be a part of this. He's feeding people. He's teaching people. People are coming. So I want to be a part of that. And I love, as Jesus begins to teach, he not only continues to kind of communicate it even deeper and he's talking about these very deep spiritual things and obviously he's talking about uh, what he is going to do on their behalf and giving of his body and, and sacrificing himself for them. But he doubles down on it. He continues on and what does it say? Thousands and thousands and thousands leave. Modern day church would look at that and say that's the, the worst church growth model that you could ever adopt, right? Is to say things that people don't like and don't want to hear. But listen, that's what Jesus did. Listen, there was a lot of times Jesus gathered a crowd only to scatter it. And so, why? Why is that important? Because then as you get further on into verses 67 through 69, we see why Jesus did what he did. He comes to Peter and some others here. And Jesus said to them, he says, do you not want to go as thousands have left? People, maybe that they even knew that they had been around, they all left. And Jesus said, don't you want to go as well? And what did Simon say? One of my favorite responses in the Bible. And I'm so thankful for this because Peter was so messed up in so many ways. But God continued to use him because he said things like this. said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter said, you have everything. You have everything that I need. There's nothing within me. There's nothing these people offer me. There's nothing I have back in my home that offers me what you have. So when everyone's left, when we are the outsiders, when we are the ones marginalized, Peter said, where else would I go? You have the pure spiritual milk that I need. You have everything that that I could ever desire, God. Where else would I go? Peter, and I believe even echoing this experience, is calling us to that point in our life where we are dependent on nothing else but God. Now listen, I'm not saying that our jobs don't matter, that our families don't matter, that our, our circles of influence don't matter. But in reality, before we could ever step out and to be able to do any of those things adequately, we need to be at a place. You know, we as parents. You know, I, 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 I like the idea of it and I understand the heart behind it, but it always discourages me when I hear parents more concerned about getting their kids to church than they are for themselves being in church. And I'm just being honest. You know, because in reality, what are we telling them? We're telling them, this is important for you because you're young and you're ignorant. But once you get to my age and you're grown up like me, you don't really need this stuff anymore. You don't need to know this anymore. You just need it to get to this point and then you'll kind of figure it out. Man, we've made very little of who God is, right? He's good enough for my babies, but he's not good enough for grown ups. He's only for weak people. He's only for people that, that, that need more. That that need to be learned something. That need to be taught something. Once you become an adult, you got it all figured out. I don't know about you, but I don't. I still need it. I still need it. And this is a call. What Peter's making this call to, he's making this call for us. You know, a lot of times people sit in church, and I've done it. A lot of people sit in church, you know, and we just think as we're hearing these challenges and these things, like, well, that's that's really for... For people who are preaching or teaching or this or that. You know, this is for, for the people who are kind of working. I mean, I'm just kind of the casual Christian. I just kind of come and go. And it's okay for me to kind of not reflect these things or not be these things. Or that's not really a sense of accountability for me. But I would hate to say it. There are way more verses in the Bible. Way more. And the majority, I would even venture to say, majority of the Bible speaks to the life of the everyday Christian. Way more than it speaks to the life of a leader in the church. I mean, all of this is to all we've read up to chapter 2 in First Peter is speaking to the church at large. There is a section as we get further down, way over into 1 Peter 5, where he begins to mention for a short, short time leadership and shepherds and, and elders. But he is talking to the church. This is for us collectively. This isn't just on me. This isn't just on a worship team or a Sunday school teacher or, 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 or anybody like that. This is, this is for us Collectively. To step out, to take action, to grab a hold of, to lean in, have desires for the greater things of God. Philippians 2 verse 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We as the church, the second thing being the church needs what is right for this and because of this, the last thing this morning, because the church has known what is right. We should want and desire what is right because we have known what is right. In verse 3, he says this. says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you are a Christian this morning, in some way, shape, or form... There has been a moment in your life where you have tasted and seen and experienced that God is good. Maybe it's in your, just in your life, as a, as, as in, just in the sense of your saving, that God would even think to save and want to save someone like me. Maybe it's in a, a miracle God has done in your life, in the life of your kids, in the life of your spouse, in the life of someone around you that you interact with. In some way, shape, or form, you have tasted the goodness of God a true follower of Jesus has known his goodness and what he's done and what he offers Psalm 34 8 David would say oh taste and see that the Lord is good blessed is the man who takes refuge in him and so for us the question is this why would we not want more Because for us as Christians, what do we reveal to the world when as Christians our motivations are being guided by a craving or an appetite for something other than God? For lesser things of God. For shallow understandings of God and for who He is. For ourselves, for our families, and for our circles of influence. You know, me being a nurse, there's a lot of times I go to illustrations in this regard because it's just what I see and experience every day. But, you know, in sickness... Taste can be lost. Very, very, very... A lot of my patients, they they experience a loss of taste. You know, and it's amazing how those things that they used to love, that taste good, they used to taste so good to them, suddenly don't. And not only do they not taste good, but they taste bitter. They taste... they, They just... They don't like it. Even the sweetest things... They just don't want it. And what's amazing with that is how quickly after that the appetite begins to get acclimated to their intake. Because they've stopped taking in these things. And they've they've acclimated themselves and their appetite to a specific intake. That their intake begins. Because you can, and a lot of times we try to encourage, listen, you've got to continue to take in I know your taste is off. I know it just doesn't seem right, but continue to take in. Continue to, we call it concentrated calories. Try to get, you know, boost, ensure all those things that, that I'm sure one day I'll be uh, gulping down. But, you know, trying to get as many calories into a small amount, even if it's that, just continue to eat. Because what happens is when this ta- the taste is gone, the intake begins to be less because they don't, you know, for a lot of us, we think, I mean, if, you've had, if you've had COVID or anything like that, when you lost your taste, you're like, why even eat? If I can't enjoy it, why eat it? And so a lot of people, that's where they get to, is why eat it if I can't enjoy it? And so what happens is their appetite begins to acclimate to their intake. And then it just continues to trickle down from there. And then they begin to lose weight. They begin to get malnourished. They begin to get weak. They begin to get tired. All these things begin to play into that. And so for us, how is that applicable for us? For many Christians, we find ourselves at a place where our appetite has acclimated to our intake. Where we have limited what we take in from God. You know, whether that's being in God's Word. Whether that's praying. Whether that's being present in the local church and worshiping with a group of people who are just like you. Just like you in a sense of that we're all seeking something outside of ourselves for our identity. When we limit, And if we'll be honest with ourselves, most of us, I would say most Christians today, we have a very limited intake of God. Very limited. And so what that has done is it's acclimated our appetite. It's changed our appetite. It's made our appetite less and less and less to the point at which we are spiritually starving and we've settled into it. We're anemic of the Word and the purity that it offers us in Jesus and what He intends for us to do and is doing in us. And so what that does for us, I don't know if you've ever been really hungry before or just been in a space where you're just just starving. You would eat anything at that point, right? We would take in anything. We would ingest anything. We would eat anything at that point. And so where we are in our lives is when God is not the source of our spiritual nutrition as that pure, untainted, undefiled, unstained offering from God, then we will begin to ingest and intake lesser things, lesser truths. Be identified by different desires rather than the desires that God has for us. And so the challenge for us this morning, I'm going to be finishing up. So to let us be a people that are being driven by our taste for God's goodness rather than a tolerance for the world around us. To taste and to crave God may require us to turn away a lot of other meals. You know, and so when we think about that, I think about, you know, we say it to our kids all the time, you know, don't ruin your dinner. Don't eat that, you're going to ruin your dinner. And so what we really mean is don't fill up on junk. Don't get acclimated to something different at this time because I want you to eat this. Listen, if you eat ice cream, you're not going to want the vegetables that I have for you later. You know, there's a reason why we don't give newborn babies chocolate milk, right? Why is that? Because if you give them that, they ain't going to want the other stuff. Because it's sweet. Because it tastes good. Because it is filling. The consistency is very similar to what they would take in otherwise. And you may not see immediate effects of that intake. But because it's not the pure formula, the pure the milk that can be provided or should be provided for them, what happens? Maybe not initially, but over time, it begins to kill, not only initially, kill their craving for the pure, more substantial, more provisional stuff. But it begins to have negative effects, right? It begins to have negative effects on them over time. And so when we, as people, as Christians, begin to reach out to, depend on, crave things that aren't the purity of what God has for us, what the purity of what God has for us in our lives As human beings, in our marriages, you know, in in who we marry and how we marry and how we live and how we act as people in relationships and the type of people we have relationships with as we navigate that space. The more we crave and desire the lesser things, the more we're not craving and not actively seeking and having an appetite, stimulating our appetite for God and His Word, the more we'll take in those unpure things that maybe initially they taste sweet and they feel good. But over time, they're going to start to degrade us. They're going to start to eat away at us. They're going to start to pull us away. And so my challenge for us this morning is this for us as people to not trade the truth of God for the sweet experience of the world. Listen, it is sweet. It's sweet to be accepted. It's sweet to be liked. It's sweet to, to have you know, have this space of comfort where we engage with the world around us and we agree with them and we can, we can, we can celebrate the same things. We can be glad about the same things. But listen... We have got to be at a place as Christians where we know and we can disagree and we can stand on the truth of the pure truth of what God has for us because we know, and that's important, because we know, we know and we're confident that it is the fullest experience of life of what God has for us. It doesn't mean that we have to be demeaning. It doesn't mean that we need to dismantle people. It doesn't mean that we need to verbally abuse people. But what it does mean is that we have to be confident. We have to stand firm because then we can lean into others' lives and say, "Listen, this is what I need you to know. This is what I know that your desires are telling you this, but the desires of God for you are inviting you to something bigger. We can't be identified by our inner desires because our inner desires are faulty. They're not the best representation of who we are or who we were created to be because God created us in his image. God created us in his image, man and woman." for each other, for His glory, for what He has called us to. And He has invited us to be experiencing the fullness of what that is. There are things in our lives that are killing our cravings for God and for us this morning, we have to decide what are those things. As we seek and as we pray, as we acknowledge that we are a church of people who are in need, we are a church that needs what is right and we are a church that has known what is right because of the goodness that God has poured out to us before we ever did a single thing for Him. He has poured out for us. Church, let us bow our heads this morning as we begin to enter into a time of worship this morning. I want to encourage you. We're going to do something a little different. But I'm going to pray. And then as I finish praying, I want to encourage you to stand with us as we sing, as we engage with who God is and what He's done and what He's doing for us in our lives. Church, let's pray. Father God, we thank You. God, we thank You that we don't have to guess God, we don't have to guess for what is pure for us, what is good for us, what is needed for us in our lives to grow and to move and to navigate this space that you've called us to. Father God, we know that this world will be full of ideas, be full of opinions, be full of things. But God, please, I beg that we would just be a people that would be constantly desiring and leaning toward your goodness. God, we live in such a world of division. God, we live in such a world of destruction. But God, let us see who you are. God, let us see what you do. And God, let us see what it is that you truly have for us in your word and in this word as we live in a culture that we live in. God, I pray that we would seek forgiveness if we need forgiveness. God, I pray that we would... would run and leave behind the shame that you want to strip away, that you are stripping away from us, God, let us see your glory, let us see your goodness, God let us see you for who you are and what you want to do in our lives and let us not be distracted or deterred by anything less God, if we're a Christian here this morning and we've settled for anything less than who you are and what you do, God I pray that we would know that you're faithful and just to forgive, God let us see you for who you are us embrace you for what you do God and also this morning maybe we have not there's someone here or people here that have not accepted you God, not put their faith in you and your goodness and what you do father God I pray that you would help them to see and to know that you have invited all of us to your table it doesn't matter where we've been doesn't matter what we've done it doesn't matter who we are where we come from Father God you invite us to your table Lord, let us be humble this morning. Let us approach you. Again. Lord, we love you. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, go ahead and stand. with us let's, let's worship together.